Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to Where To Go. I'm James Atkinson, Senior Brand Manager at DKI Witness. And I'm Lucy Richards, Senior Editor at DKI Witness. And welcome to Where To Go, where every fortnight we find out more about the world's favourite travel destinations with those people who know those places best. Mm. And today, Lucy, where are we off to? We're off to Seoul. Yes. So Seoul, which sort of seems to be on the lips of like kind yes. of every everyone in the past couple of years. I feel like, um, you know, like Korea has, South Korea has been like a sort of cultural sort of like mecca for years and years and years to those in the know. Mm. And that knowledge just seems to be widespread. So from Oscar winning films, massive bingeable Netflix TV series. Yes. And, you know, the all encompassing power of K-pop. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think everyone has, uh, there's no escape really. Um, no. And, and Seoul is kind of the city at the heart of, of, of a lot of that as well. Absolutely. And we have um, a real expert as well on all things sort of South Korean and, and Seoul for this episode. So we're in safe hands. Yes, yes, we are. Because uh, me, neither me nor you have been to Seoul, right? No, no, um, but, but, but really, really want to. So we're talking a lot about Seoul at the moment and, and South Korean culture in DK Eyewitness. So I, I have to say I, it's really wet in my appetite. I really want to go. Yeah, so let's definitely find out more. So so who is our guest today, Lucy? So we've got Sue Kim. So Sue Kim is a London-based journalist and author whose book How to Live Korean was published in 2020. And the book covers everything from kimchi to K-pop, plus everything in between, unpacking what it means to be Korean in all its forms through the unfiltered eyes of an expert on Korean culture. So who better to talk to than Sue about our destination of Seoul? Hello, Sue. Hello. Hello. It's brilliant to have you on the podcast. Um, We're really excited to do an episode on Seoul as well, and it's amazing to have you join us. So we're going to get to uh, uh, know a little bit about Sue first, um, and then we'll move on to the all-important recommendations and insider tips on where to go in Seoul. We'll then end in our normal way by hearing about the present day in the city and what the future holds for it. So, Sue, can you tell us um, a bit more about your Korean heritage? Sure, absolutely. I've well, I've been I've been based in London actually for the past thirteen years now, but I actually grew up in New York City, which is actually um, a home to the second largest um, population Korean population outside um, 
South Korea after China. <laughs> obviously, obviously, China is nearby. So, um, so my upbringing at mm. at home, actually, back in New York City, was actually quite quintessentially Korean because there's sort of the saying kind of among Koreans that Korean Amer- immigrants, like the Koreans in outside Korea, tend to be even more Korean than the Koreans in Korea. And I don't know if it's a it's a thing with like maybe holding on to the heritage. There's this urgency, I think. And my parents mm. definitely, um, mm-hmm. they, they were of that camp and they made sure they sent me to Korean language school and, you know, everything. We, we only speak Korean at home and we kept all the traditions. And so in some ways, yeah, it was a very interesting experience growing up in such a multicultural city, but being also very Korean. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's been kind of interesting to experience that um, on both sides of the pond. But my parents um, immigrated to to the States like in the late 70s. And it's kind of interesting because they they kind of went there after about half a century after my, my granddad um, went to. He first went to America to study and he, he became mm. um, he joined the Korean independence movement and which um, just like a brief history is kind of came up after um, during the Japanese occupation period. And that's mm. when my granddad sort of got involved in that. And he happened to sort of be mentored by these really big <laughs> historical figures. Uh, one of them was An chang who was the fa- founding father of the Korean independence movement. And the other is um, Sing Man Ri, who later became the first president of South Korea. So, yeah. so he kind of mm. just stumbled upon these guys and was mentoring them. And he kind of, you know, just started getting involved in the movement and kind of traveled back and forth from Korea um, by boat at the time, obviously by ship. And, you know, he would do these sort of covert, covert sort of missions. And on one of his journeys, he sort of got, he got um, called out by one of the Japanese authorities. So they arrested him. And then after that, he went, um, he got arrested and sent to Japan and, and he was there until the country came back. So in 1945, um, mm. it was released, uh, Japanese occupation ended and then he was hence released and he went mm. back and he kind of, yeah, he has this kind of legacy where, I mean, he, he was one of the few people who spoke English, um, in, in the peninsula at the time, which is unheard of. And so he kind of, he worked as an interpreter for the government at the time and then lived a quite a very short life. He was only 59 when he passed away, but he, he did all that. And I think the la- latter part of his career was just teaching English, um, in schools in South Korea. But I've always sort of, um, I mean, I really, you know, resonate with his story because it always feels like my granddad sort of lives mm-hmm. on through me because my life has really paralleled like what he has done in terms of leaving his country and kind of really pioneering things. And I think, um, I mean, one of the most epic trips I'd done to Korea was kind of retracing his legacy in South Korea. And I went to um, his, because he's mm-hmm. buried in the National Cemetery for Veterans at the moment. And he was... Um, you know, he was buried there with military honors and he was given two presidential honors um, for his services to the country. So, and it was really strange to see actually my name on a grave because my name is on the grave as listed as his granddaughter. So, um, wow. yeah, that oh, was a wow. real emotional moment seeing that. And um, I'm sure. When did you, when did you retrace his steps? That was um, before the pandemic, must have been like maybe 2016 around then and Mm. and it was a huge thing because you know I went and uh, my mom joined me sort of the half half of the trip and you know visiting the cemetery I went on my own in the cemetery and then um, I went with her and then we kind of retraced um, where my dad's from they're both from the south where they met in Seoul and so we kind of retraced um, their kind of heritage my mom was sort of telling me stories about how 
you know, the areas changed and stuff where she was and stuff. And so it was really, really interesting. I think that trip really made me kind of, I kind of fell in love with the country again. And I think, you know, it really made me miss mm -hmm. my granddad. And I wished, I wondered what he would think if, if he was still alive. And because he lived such a short life. So if he was still alive, I wonder how much of a fan he would be of me and a supporter of me. So, yeah, mm -hmm. that's sort of um, kind of, um, I guess, my heritage I've been sort of reconnecting with um, in the last few years. So, yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. Really, really interesting. Um, and I think like um, you sort of mentioned it there, like your parents are, um, met in mm -hmm. Seoul, right? And um, have you visited Seoul much? Have you have you um, uh, have you lived there before? I've never lived in Seoul, but I mean, I went a lot more as a child. And then after um, as an adult, mm. I went back as a journalist, like because before current currently I'm a reporter for a magazine called Newsweek. And I report uh, regularly on South Korean culture and entertainment. So I've been doing a lot of the, covering a lot of the big films and K-dramas and stuff. And, yep. Um, yep. But before that, most of my career actually was as a travel journalist for The Telegraph here in London. Mm -hmm. So okay. So through that, I was going to covering um, South Korea a lot. And it was, you know, it was just always such a joy to kind of, especially because there's so much, um, I guess we'll talk about this later as well, but like just so much... Um, interest in recent years and in cult in South Korean culture. Absolutely. In the last couple of years, I mean, the sort of cultural phenomenons that have come out of South Korea, but that kind of, uh, from a travel point of view mm -hmm. as well, like more and more people are visiting all the time. And I think there's a kind of fascination almost with the, with the country all around. Yeah, absolutely. I think people kind of, at one point, I feel like it's still relatively undiscovered um, by a lot of people because mm. In some ways, I think it's maybe almost Seoul is kind of like the new Tokyo, you know, like everyone, mm. everyone has like Tokyo is like on everyone's list. It's on my list as well. And I feel like Seoul yeah. is kind of getting there as well with so much interest in K-dramas and, and K-pop's, you know, been around for ages. But especially with K-dramas and K-films, I think people are quite keen to kind of discover the country. Um, because I think in the past it was more like people's gateway, I think, into, into Korea and South Korea has been food. There's always been such a huge explosion yeah. around food. Yeah. But I feel like it's really kind of come a, come a long way in terms of other parts of the culture are now kind of breaking into mainstream um, culture. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably what's going to put Seoul on the map as kind of, you know, the next kind of place that people want to check out. So, so obviously then you went to, um, you know, you've been to Seoul, that's where your parents met. Mm -hmm. What is it that you love about Seoul? Is there, what is it about the city that, as you say, sort of is, is sort of gaining more and more attention and traction? Mm. I think for me, I think it's always been like just remembering like me walking down the streets and things. I think, I think it's really the juxtaposition of the old and the new. Um, where mm. it's like right in this really bustling, buzzy capital, like, and, you know, it's, it's similar to Tokyo in the sense that you see all these neon lights and especially at night and it's just, just this huge kind of, you know, playground of things that you can access in terms of food. You know, it's just a never ending um, supply of foods and different kinds of food. And I think in the midst of all that and all the, the tallest, some of the tallest buildings in the world are there as well and all these skyscrapers, but like, in in the same city are are like really big historic um landmarks um from mm. all, one of my favorite parts mm. is like the palaces and i think just seeing how they're kind of side by side kind of just you know getting along i feel it almost is representative i think of the culture itself like because south korea is so advanced in so many different ways especially with technology and um other aspects but like it 
but at, at, at its heart, I feel like there's, it really does hold on to its tradition and mm. it, it really values like tradition and like, especially, you know, respect for ancestors and that kind of thing. And it all boils down to like, you know, history and ancestry. That's all kind of respected as like, it's valued as such wisdom. And I think um, the city soul itself sort of represents that. I think it, it, as much as it's advancing, it sort of never forgets its core. Um, and I think that's what I find quite attractive and um, addictive as well about the city. We're going to start this section with a quick fire tour of the city, uh, naming a few categories, and you just have to suggest just one thing to do. So if you're ready, Sue. Yes, I'm ready. Okay, let's go. Uh, so I'm going to kick off. Uh, your favourite thing to see? My favourite thing to see would definitely be the royal palaces. There are five in Seoul. And of them, I recommend mm -hmm. the Gyeongbokgung Palace, which is the first one that was built. All these palaces were built during the Joseon Dynasty, which is the last, um, it's the, lang the longest lasting um, Confucian dynasty. And it, it's quite an important dynasty because it was the last dynasty before the modern era of South Korea. So a lot of sort of the remnants of that um, era are in, in modern society today. And you know, the, the most prominent example of that is the palace. And it's really breathtaking. And I think um, you would want to see Gyeongbokgung Palace, which is the largest one. And also, like, just a little tip is um, if you go there dressed in the, the Korean um, traditional clothes, which is called hanbok, um, which you can rent at any, any one of the shops and stuff, you get free admission. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's what I would recommend. That's a fantastic tip. Lucky nice listeners. tip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Sue. That's great. And then your favourite thing to drink? My favourite thing to drink, although I'm not really, you know, a big heavy drinker, I would recommend if you're in Seoul, you should get makgeolli, which is a milky sort of looking rice uh, wine drink made from fermented um, glutinous rice. Mm. It has a bit of a tangy, sort of subtly sweet kind of flavor, but it is the oldest alcoholic drink um, in Korea. It's been brewed for around a thousand years, um, going back to like even before the Joseon Dynasty, it goes back to ancient kingdom era. And um, it's such a vestige of history. But um, in the 1970s and 80s, it kind of got lost because of so much economic boom in the country after the Korean War and like... Um, a lot of Western drinks started coming into the country, so people started to prefer that over over Makoli. But like, it's had a revival actually in the last five ten years, and people are sort of getting into you know a lot of the youth you know are all about going backwards you know and vintage trends, and I think they're mm. kind of so there's been a, a bit of a you know Makoli craft craft Makoli kind of scene. So I would definitely recommend you you have Makoli if you're in Seoul. How do you drink it? Is it is it just sort of like plain do you have it with ice do you heat it up like how how is it served it is best served cold actually and because it, it's usually it's not in a cup it usually comes in like a small bowl um and the bowl it, the bowl okay. is usually actually metal it's like a metallic if you go to one of those like hole in the wall restaurants and you order makoli it'll come in like a golden almost some sort of metal like tea kettle type looking thing and then it'll come with like a yeah. bowl as well so you drink it like as a bowl and, and the reason why is because it's best served cold so obviously put if you put it in a metal bowl it'll keep it cold as well but also it's just sort of make sure the rice sort of doesn't um separate so it's that's how it's served I yeah see. and you have it usually with like um kind of like appetizers it's called anju in, in korean but anju is like any little foods that you eat while you're drinking so little kind of snacks Lovely. so you would usually have it with that but i mean but people have it with a huge meal as well so excellent definitely have <laughs> to give that a try um, <laughs> yes 
Uh, that brings us on nicely to your favorite thing to eat. This one was a very tough one <laughs> to narrow down. Yes, <laughs> it's always it's the like, hardest. This is I like, mean, I mean, yeah, I'm, yeah. I really love Korean food. I mean, I, I know everyone says that, but I mean, and I know I'm biased, but it definitely is the best food in the world. So like, I just, mm. I love it. So it was really hard to boil down, but I was thinking about if you're in Seoul, I mean, there's so much, like we said before, Korean food has been ex- exported so much, like it's everywhere. I mean, because of the Korean diaspora, it just makes it, you know, locally and stuff. But I think this, mm. This mm. thing I'm going to recommend, I haven't seen it very much outside. I mean, you see it actually in America, you see it a lot more. I haven't seen it as much in London. So I would probably recommend this because I remember having it the last time I was there. It was just amazing. Maybe it was a memory of having it with my mom. We were just, it's a street food. It's called pungopang and it's a fish shaped, um, like a warm pastry. And they make it in these like little machines and you'll see it in like little slots as well. Like it's just, yeah, it's shaped like a goldfish, but it's filled with red bean. Uh, bean paste and it's a sweet dessert kind of treat and so mm. but it's it's just so nice when they first make it it's just like really you know warm and especially it's good for like a cold winter day but um I had it in the autumn when I was there and it was just it was just perfect just I was just standing there with my mom and yeah it was really really perfect uh-huh. so I think that I probably it's, it's an experience so for sure have pungopang love it is that served like kind of fresh and warm there yeah they usually put it in just like a little wrapper or yeah you just it's a, a street food so you eat it with your hands Great. Lovely. Great response. Okay. And then Sue, your favorite activity, your favorite day activity, I should say. I think that would have to definitely be a hike, even like mini hikes. And you wouldn't think, oh, Mm. Seoul is such a huge capital that you wouldn't kind of think about it. But actually, Seoul is enclosed by like four main mountains. And and actually, the Mm. country itself, 70% of the country is actually, uh, the peninsula is, is covered in mountains. So it's it's, you know, it would be a miss oh. to sort of not do any sort of hiking, uh, walking trail. And I think if you wanted to go for something slightly more easier, I think I would do a hike through Namsan Park, um, which also has a trail along the, the Seoul, like Fortress Wall, which is another historic um, part of the city that dates back to the Joseon Dynasty. Again, it was a fortress set up to protect the capital and just uh, hike, you know, a little walk along that trail or just uh, going up through Namsan Park. You can also take a cable car to the top as well. Um, which has mm. been around forever. and But at the top is the um, Seoul Tower. And that is actually one of the, it's an observatory and it's one of the best views of, of Seoul you can get. And also at the, and at the top of that restaurant is a revolving restaurant, and, which is really cool. So if you, you can sit down and you'll always have the best view of the city just while you're eating. So I'd recommend that. Incredible. <laughs> it sounds like a brilliant day. Um, um, so next, uh, well, last but not mm-hmm. least, is your favorite museum or gallery? I'm going to say for this one, I wanted to recommend the Dongdaemun Design Plaza, which is short for just DDP. But I really love it because the building itself, it's, it's more like a cultural hub, like a cultural center. But the building itself mm. is an artwork because it's designed by the great um, late Zaha Hadid, who is one of my favorite architects. Mm. And, and, mm. and those who know her will know that it's very, you know, her just the, the curves and the futuristic sort of designs that she's known for, it's all kind of, in, in, you know, encapsulated in this building when you see it. And it's really beautiful, especially at night when, when it, all the lights um, come on. And I think it was sort of inspired by the shard as well because of the, the outdoor kind of glass mm. bits. But I think they made it more Korean by kind of adding jade elements and things. So 
Mm. It's really, really beautiful. It's an inspiring building, just looking at the curves and things when you when you're there. But then there's like little exhibition halls where they have you know rotating kind of um, exhibitions and gallery spaces there. That's where it's also in the fashion district. So that's where actually Seoul Fashion Week is also held. So um, yeah, it's an all around good area. So you'd probably hit a lot of different things if you go visit that um, center. Great. Cool. Here endeth the quick fire round, <laughs> and I I thought that was you had a lovely variety there. Oh. I thought sort of you know. Again, that's sort of old mm. and new. Yeah, outdoorsy, very new cultural. Mm. Like, yeah, there's, there, there's definitely a lot of old and new mm. there. Um, and lots of tradition, like kind of nice memories coming mm. into stuff as well. So yeah, that was brilliant. You. Yeah, <laughs> Thank you, Sue. So obviously we've sort of talked a bit about Seoul, mm-hmm. um, but we know that you are an expert really on Korea at mm-hmm. large. How does Seoul stand apart from South Korea? I think you sort of have touched on... Mm-hmm bit but it would just be great to kind of do a bit more of a deep dive Mm. i think seoul definitely has an eclectic sort of globally urban vibe that you probably will recognize um you you probably recognize that kind of energy from different kind of similar cities but i think Mm. especially now that with korean culture having exploded um in the past just even two three years um i think you can kind of get a sense of what the city will be like but i feel like seoul you know, wears like many different hats and faces in terms of it can give you like everything you need. It's it's kind of one of those world capital cities, I think, where you could find, you know, everything and anything if you want it. And it's it's kind of just there. And I think that's kind of what makes it probably special because it, it is one of those 24-hour type cities. But I think the rest, the rest mm. of the country, and that in itself sort of almost makes it its own country. But I think when you see the rest of the country, I feel like different pockets. Um, I mean, there are, the country's made of about eight different provinces, and each province, I think, has it's more. It's very different, I think, from Seoul because it's much less global in terms of obviously there's not as many. There are different. Um, there are foreigners as well who you know teach or work in different parts of the country, but it's not as uh, concentrated as it is in Seoul. And I think um, different parts offer like like really different things. Like for example. Um, the city of Gyeongju in Gyeongsangbukdo, which is where my, my my father is from. And it's kind of located a bit further mm-hmm. south. And, you know, you'll find a lot of the UNESCO sites there. I mean, the country has about 15 or so um, UNESCO sites. And, you know, that's kind of where people would be going. And that's very, like, countryside um, vibes there. And if you go to, like, the Chala region, there's Chala Namdo and Chala Bukdo, which is... Um, the two separate provinces, but that's actually where my mom is from. And that's at the very south coast as well. It's just off the coast of Jeju Island as well. So that area is like, if you say you're from Chola, everyone would know that, you know, you must have grown up in amazing food and it's known for its rich regional cuisine. Um, so that's kind of an example. I mean, if you go even into like um, Kangwondo province as well, like um, that's where the DMZ area is. And obviously yeah. that in itself, like, the DMZ obviously it always puts on like this, you know, there's always an air of tension um, because of the ongoing sort of conflict, which is, you know, it's technically still ongoing. So, so it, that's, that province is interesting because the northern half obviously of the province sits in North Korea and the southern half is in South Korea. But, you know, there's much more to do than, than just the DMZ um, in that area. There's because around 80% of that region itself is just mountainous so people go there as a country escape as well and also some of the best beaches are there as well because it's along the the east coast so um so yeah i feel like there's so many different um there's so many different cities as well as like just little regions and and also you know if you go around this uh, the country you see and hear so many of the different accents as well which you know you you wouldn't mm. be able to see i think <clears throat> or hear i mean even if you just go outside um 
not very far, even if you go just to like the second largest city in, in South Korea is Busan. And, you know, even if you go there, it's, it's a very different accent. And it's very it's similar to what I, because my dad's area had a really strong accent. So like, I, I can kind of recognize that more. And so that in itself, I think, kind of represents like how, how different everyone is around the country. I mean, kind of zoning back into Seoul just for a second, like, um, uh, are there any sort of like surprising aspects uh, or like areas of the city um, that listeners might not know about? I would say kind of like one of the areas I think I recently kind of came onto my radar was this little sort of neighborhood called Songsudong, which is just north of the Han River. I mean, the Han River, or, or just say Hangang in Korean, it kind of it bisects the, the capital. And um, mm-hmm. so, I mean, going back to like that air, another air, very famous area that's become very famous through culture, Korean culture is um, Gangnam through the song of the same um, name. And Gangnam, it literally means south of the river. So... And it's, you know, it's one of the wealthiest uh, districts, I think, in in the country, actually, one of the wealthiest plots of land. So all the celebrities live there and all the huge tech companies and um, all the big um, entertainment agencies, everyone lives there. But um, Because if I've got it right, that song is like a satire, isn't it? It is. (laughs) It really is. Because obviously everyone has a very specific, you know, really lavish lifestyle in Gangnam. I mean, this is where Mm. all the celebrities are. So... Then the guy who sings at Sai, he is also from Gangnam. So it's like, it's almost ironic that he's like making a satire of where he's from as well. But, um, but yeah, that song is an entire, you know, satire of how society, it's like so rich there. So, but I mean, Gangnam has a lot of like charm as well. I mean, I'm, I love, um, I think probably because I've, I've been to many hotels around the world. I was lucky enough to, through my job. And, you know, I love hotel bars and, some of the best hotel bars are also in Seoul as well. And one of them is in Gangnam cool. uh, at the Park Hyatt um, Seoul. And, and the reason why is because I remember staying at the Park Hyatt Seoul and like at the, um, I really felt like I was doing like an episode, uh, a scene from like Lost in Translation. Because, you know, in Lost in Translation, <laughs> you're at the Park Hyatt Tokyo. And I yeah. felt kind of like I was having a Scarlett Johansson moment because I was just at the bar. I was on my own at the time. And then I was just having some sushi and I just thought is my is my Bill Murray gonna walk in here anytime soon but, um, I remember thinking I'm guessing that. He, I'm guessing he didn't, <laughs> he didn't. yeah um. I just had my sushi and I went back to my room but like but it's but it's a be- I mean that hotel is is really beautiful because of the bar as well but um they've got this incredible infinity pool and it's really like you know you really feel like you're at the edge um so mm. I would recommend that if you're in Gangnam Park Hyatt um so um but yeah but I, oh yeah going back to the question of like um places that maybe people might not know of there's this kind of up and coming area called Songsudong which is just north of um the Han River and it's sort of been i think pegged as kind of like the Brooklyn of Seoul i don't know if you guys know about Brooklyn mm-hmm. uh, i actually grew up yeah. in Brooklyn in New York so it's very strange mm-hmm. to see how hipster it has become <laughs> i mean it is e- it is easily <laughs> specifically it's become- yeah i mean it's it's become a byword. It for really it, has. It? I guess. I guess across. It the world. absolutely yeah. has, and I think um, Brooklyn. I mean, I also grew up in. Uh, yeah, I grew up in Williamsburg, which is the hipsterest of, of the of Brooklyn, and so. It, I've been to Williamsburg. Yeah, it's just <laughs> honestly shortage on, in America. It's the same exactly. So I was very much so surprised to seeing how it's changed. But like, so if you it, to to give you an example, Song Sezong is kind of becoming that vibe. It's it's has a Brooklyn vibe to it because it has a lot of cool shops and cafes sort of like in converted warehouse spaces or industrial kind of Mm. feel 
Um, and that's actually tying back to the makgeolli. There's this brewer, makgeolli brewery there called Hangang Brewery. And um, they're trying to kind of, you know, revive the craft scene and stuff. So, yeah, if you're in Songsdong, you should probably go to that Hangang Brewery for the makgeolli. Cool. Amazing. Fantastic. Well, absolutely. You're really wetting the appetite, I must say, Sue. Um, and then finally, I just want to ask you, sort of, you know, you touched on um, sort of a- around the city mm-hmm. more. Can, is day, you know, are there day trips to be had? Are there places just outside of Seoul in the surrounding area? You know, you've talked about kind of the mountains and hiking. Mm-hmm. Sort of, are there some specific kind of... Um, yeah, nearby day trips, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, I think actually it's there's plenty to do because um, it's very well connected by um, the the high speed train as well as just the rail. So the K- K- KTX mm. is the high speed train, and Core Rail is is just the the rail the national rail system. And it's like thanks to that, like I mean, they built a new one when when they were doing the Pyeongchang Olympics as well. Um, so. It, you know, it makes it so easy to access. So I mentioned Busan before. Busan is the country's um, second city. And, you know, all, again, it's it's the fifth busiest port in the world. But I think the, the great thing about Busan is like you kind of get you get the beach as well as as the city. So it's almost like it's like yeah. Seoul, but like plus a beach coast. So, um, yeah, yes, it's, it's so nice. it's a great thing. And it only takes about two and a half hours or three hours by train, which is nothing. It's like a day trip, basically. Um, mm. So yeah, I, w- I would recommend highly Busan if if um, but anywhere really. Busan is all the way on the south coast as well, and you know Seoul is all the way sort of the north. So given that it only takes about two three hours, I think you know you're not really limited because because the train. Mm. You know yeah, me recommending Busan is like recommending the opposite ends of the country, but like it's really easy to do. It's only in two three hours, so I think um, you're really not limited. I think if you if you feel like just kind of exploring, yeah. KTX and CoRail will will allow that to happen. Because I know, and you you mentioned the Winter Olympics there as well, and that happened. The, the, those were held just north of Seoul, right? I think it was probably only maybe just an hour outside. I can't remember. But yeah, it was north of Seoul. But I was going to say that's uh, some real uh, sort of uh, I don't know, like differing climates there. Mm. If you've got beach three hours south and, it really uh, is. and, and sort of ski resorts etc one hour north it's really crazy how um the climate's so different but um but i mean having said that like in terms of another destination i feel like it would be a miss to not not visit Jeju island while you're in seoul because again it's not very hard to get to it's only in you have to get on a plane obviously i mean you could get on a boat but you'd have to go all the way uh, to the Chala region, actually, where my mom is from, and then you can catch a boat from there. But I think it'd be easier because it's just an hour by plane and by domestic. So it's very, and people easily do it, like in terms of as a weekend trip, lots of people do it. It's like a local thing where people just go to Cheju for the weekend. Um, I've had friends who had relationships with people in Cheju and like Seoul, you know, they made it work because it's just Cheju and Seoul. Um, oh, wow. so, <laughs> so definitely it's doable for relationships as well as, you know, anything else. <laughs> Um, but I mean, but you've got to see Cheju, I think, because Cheju is is dubbed the Hawaii of of South Korea. So you've mm. got to see um, Cheju, and and if you go to Cheju, there's um, it's a very interesting island in terms of like the I don't know if you guys know about them, the Henya community, which is the female diving um, clan, and they're they're actually UNESCO de- designated the actual clan as an intangible cultural heritage um, because you know they're one of the only examples of um, a matriarchal society because obviously the rest of South Korea and, and the Korean Peninsula is patriarchal. And I think they, from, mm. from the 17th century, was it? Like they've been, you know, they were the breadwinners and that was because, 
you know, a lot of the men went off to war um, during the Japanese occupation period. And, and also some of the men just would go fishing and then they would just die. And so a lot of it kind of boiled down to necessity. But then they, you know, the women were the ones and these people are, you know, these women are just diving. They're not like highly kind of, you know, trained at some, you know, specialist school or anything. They just, it's just passed down through generations mm. of how to do the diving. And they use a very unique right. um, breathing technique that's, again, been passed down for centuries. And, you know, they don't dive with any diving tanks or anything. They just go down with their masks and um, their diving suits. So, and these women are like easily in their 70s, some of them even in their 80s. Wow. So it's wow. such a, it's like, they're like living legends, kind of basically, like, you know, mothers yeah. of the sea, kind of, I think they're called. So that in itself is interesting to, to see on Jeju Island and just the, the volcanic landscape as well. And there's just so much in Jeju. It would feel like a shame if, if you're in Seoul for, to not just get on that flight to go see Jeju. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Seoul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a terrible, terrible fight. It wasn't meant to be. I <laughs> It was going to happen at some point today. So Sue, that was that was a that was a beautiful, beautiful introduction, not just to Seoul but to the rest of mm. South Korea. And we are now going to talk about sort of the the, the present present times in in Seoul and and South Korea too. One of Asia's cultural capitals, Seoul is the perfect blend of traditional and modern. It's both a fashion hub and a food lover's paradise. And our top 10 Seoul travel guide will ensure you find your way around this dynamic city with absolute ease. Find it in all good bookshops or via the link in our episode bio. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Just realizing, obviously, we've talked, we've alluded to during the episode a bit about like the kind of cultural um, uh, boom of South Korea, or like just the the interest, particularly from the West, I guess, and and that's using the West in the old fashioned <laughs> sense of the world. But um, but but like um, uh, but this kind of like explosion of interest in in Korea. Do you mind if I just kind of ask you mm-hmm. a little bit about how that's been picked up in Korea and and uh, in South Korea and like kind of how people have reacted to it whether they're aware of it or whether they're completely oblivious and it's just business as usual (laughs) (laughs) i think probably like i mean just seeing on social media like i mean to just give an example of this because this is quite recent uh i interviewed um the the main actor from squid game Lee jung jae who is you know the Mm. sag award-winning emmy nominated Mm. um Mm -hmm. golden globe nominated actor and he's just been everywhere he's he's been mr it you know and i think he's kind of an example of how you know obviously i was honored to interview him but like everyone in the country because obviously the his the image he was introduced obviously i mean he was introduced via 
you know, ages ago, like at Cannes, like 2010 or something with a huge film. But like people didn't really know who he was until Squid Game. And I think everyone was saying, obviously, he has this image, um, you know, really kind of disheveled image in the series as needed. Um, but like in, in South Korea, in the domestic uh, country, domestic fans, like he's like, I mean, he's now aged, but like in his heyday, I mean, I remember watching dramas when he first came out, you know, everyone was like such all the rage over him. He was like an absolute heartthrob, like, you know, the biggest movie star. He still is the biggest movie star in, in South Korea. Yeah. So it's like mm. the fans, I remember they were so quick to defend, like when people were like, oh, you know, you know, he's seeing all this like stardom. You see all these people on social media, like, you know, bringing out the archive, you know, footage of him like topless and like looking like amazing. <laughs> and so it was really funny. But I feel like Koreans in general, I think there's so much like um, pride there in a good sense, like patri- mm. patriotism is very strong. And I think... I think it's probably because, you know, they've come out of, you know, Japanese occupation and like after the Korean War as well. I mean, the country suffered, you know, a lot of um, financial, you know, fallouts uh, after the Korean War as well. Mm -hmm. But then if you think about it, it's in a very relatively very short period of time in terms of like, you know, late 70s. From then on, they were kind of really boomed. And then now, you know, they're one of the poorest countries in the world, South Korea, before, just after the, the Korean War, especially. And then you know, now they're the 10th biggest economy in the world. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like, it's a huge jump in relatively just like half a century. And yeah. so, and it's actually referred to as like the miracle on the Han because of that, the, the country realizes how quickly it was able to to get itself um, on, off its feet. And I think these are the reasons why I think it really takes a lot of, they take a lot of pride in, in its culture and, and, and what it's achieved. And I think, I feel like all the fans and, and all the like locals are, really proud of, of how much love Korean culture is like finally getting. And, and I mean, yeah. it's, it's always been getting that much love in terms of K-pop. But I think with K-dramas, K-dramas mm. is such a quintessential part of the Korean cultural experience. And it's so yeah. funny to see it now sort of exploding globally. And people are like, you know, a lot of the K-dramas, I think, are, are kind of being made almost for export now. People, you know, the companies are, mm. are sort of realizing, oh, we've got to think about how this, how can we make this globally, you know, relevant? And I think... It's interesting because the Korean Korean dramas it's, it's slightly different, like the ones that air on the the Korean channels, um, which I you know I find still addictive. But um, you can kind of see how it's been slightly like oh they're trying to make it a little bit more you know relevant globally, and I think mm. maybe that's sort of a little bit of the change that I'm seeing. But like the country, mm. not not that it was ever insular, but I think um, maybe it's becoming more aware of its like. Uh, value or just how much yeah. you know how people are kind of awakening to to you know Korea's cultural and entertainment offerings and I think I think maybe now the country's st- starting to kind of think oh let's try to maximize this and see see what we can do with it so it feels like that's maybe a bit of the change that's happening in the last maybe five six years or something yeah mm. yeah so I guess it's the awareness of the audience and the increased mm. audience really um that yeah, there's but it's it's sort of it's really hard to put your finger on it because there's so many different things mm-hmm. that have come out from that kind of cultural explosion. So, K-pop is almost this hyper pop like uh, endemic version of, <laughs> of what pop music is kind of uh, is is kind of becoming and and was like 
five years or so ago. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Korean dramas, as you, as you say, they have their own kind of like complete take on drama. There's lots of suspense, there's lots of, uh, you know, experimentation in scripts, etc. But basically, yes, it's a, it's a, a, I guess, um, Koreans finding a, a worldwide audience. And I think, I think people are really just starting to appreciate what a special country it really, really is. And it's really heartwarming to see it because it's almost similar to how when I when I left um, New York, you know, because it was so such a part of my my DNA. It, when it's so close to heart, you don't realize how special it is. And I think when I left New York and I come here, people are always just so, you know, speak so highly of New York City. And I think I feel the same way when people talk about um, South Korean culture and anything to do mm-hmm. with Korea. Like I feel very very proud um, of my heritage. And I'm so glad my parents, you know, made sure I stayed very Korean <laughs> under their uh, under their watch. They were, they were like, you're not going to forget how to speak Korean or anything. So I'm very, very glad um, they did that, even though I grew up yeah, abroad. We've talked about the sort of cultural phenomena and et cetera, but in... In terms of like the last couple of years, obviously, um, we've had a global pandemic, etc. How is Seoul kind of coping at the minute? Is it kind of like, is everything back to normal uh, from what you hear? I think um, the country is definitely wanting to get tourism back. Um, I think it was either, might have been maybe April or so, the country um, kind of officially opened its doors um, so that it can start to encourage people to come in. And I think in terms of numbers, like I think it's like with any country, it's kind of like it can go either way, you know, in, in any instant. So maybe that's sort of the logic that South Korea has had as well. Like we can't just kind of shut everything out forever. I mean, in the beginning of the pandemic, they they were very, um, really strict in terms of, and very actually mm. uh, quite a model country, because I remember reporting on South Korea at the time and, um, they were just so the model country in terms of like getting like l- literally everybody tested that they possibly could um, in order yeah. to like make sure it's, you know, the, the um, outbreak is stopped in its tracks. Like they wanted to get down to patient zero. And I think, you know, they I think they really try to make sure that everything is in place. Like they want to do the right thing. And, and I think at the same time, they know that they need tourism as well. So I think it's mm. kind of like they've definitely, they're definitely keen um, to have people and, and the mm. country's open. And I think, I mean, in terms of like busy times, yeah, it would be busy around the summertime, um, I suppose, because, you know, obviously school's out as well. So all the locals will be um, out as well. But, um, but yeah, I think but the pandemic has definitely, you know, affected the country as it has in every other country um, economically. Mm. And even though it is one of the biggest in the top 10 economies in the world, they've, you know, trying to recover as well. Um, and, you know, obviously recently they had like a huge bit of flooding as well, which was really, really devastating. But, um, but you know, that's down to, to the climate as well. So on this podcast, you've done a fantastic job, Sue, of selling career and you've really done the country justice. When would be the best time that you would recommend or your favourite time when you would recommend listeners go? You mentioned being there in autumn with your mum. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when would you recommend would be a, a great time to visit? I would definitely, yes, autumn would be one of them or spring. Um, because it kind of, South Korea has a very like temperate climate, um, but there are like four um, distinct seasons. Um, I would say it's, it's similar to New York City, actually. I don't know if it's maybe similar latitude or something, but like it's similar. But um, in terms of um, 
the summer weather is very like really hot, like even hotter than New York City, which is pretty bad there. But it's really humid yeah. as well. So I think from like weather wise in terms of level of comfort, I think um, the perfect weather would be autumn or spring. Um, and actually, I mean, the two kind of I guess it kind of ties in with like reasons to visit. But like the autumn, if you go, I mean, if I guess you would have to go a little bit earlier, but is um, kind of like the autumn festival, uh, harvest festival as well, Chuseok. Uh, which is kind of the, it's coming up very soon, but it's like a huge, one of the biggest uh, festivals um, and, you know, holidays in South Korea. And then in like around March to April, that springtime is when the cherry blossoms season kind of goes. So I think um, that's probably why I would recommend going around that time, like March, April, springtime would be good because then you get to see all the, the beautiful cherry blossom and cherry blossoms are especially beautiful in the palaces. And it really brings you back. Oh, yeah, it really brings you back in time if you once you see the cherry blossoms as well. I was going to say, like, um, uh, we've got, uh, there's a book we published a couple of years ago called Where to Go When. And I think it recommends going to Seoul in October or November. I yes, can't remember which one. Does. Yes, it um, does. I think it's October. But beautiful. Like, you talked about the kind of like the mount, the, the mountains around mm-hmm. Seoul and, 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 the, and the parks, etc. And, and everything looks like it's in this beautiful, like, kind of orange glow mm-hmm. of like, like autumnal glow. Mm. Um, just remember those pictures very, very. <laughs> clearly and uh, looking wonderful so I will definitely definitely look look into that as I say it's very much on my list and I'm there Mm. Uh, and it's been fantastic to learn a lot about Seoul and South Korea from you today Sue Um, thank you so much for joining us oh thank you for having me it's absolute pleasure I'm always um, very happy and proud to, to talk about Korea and my heritage thank you for having me it's been an absolute pleasure thank you very much So a huge, huge thank you to Sue. That was wonderful. Um, it's yeah. brilliant, Lucy. I think we've we've talked about like to quite a lot of people on the podcast who live immerse themselves in in their cities, etc. Whereas mm. I thought it was fascinating to hear from Sue, kind of how her Korean identity has like really underpinned all her childhood and and That's this kind it. of like seeing seeing Seoul both as an insider and an outsider as well. And I think yeah, she had a wonderful true. perspective on it. It was uh, it was really, really fascinating. And it was really lovely to hear about her family, um, mm. sort of, you know, uh, about her wonderful grandfather and her parents and how they met in Seoul. It was just, uh, yeah, I really felt it was a real window. Um it was fantastic. Thank you so much, Sue. Yeah, thank you, Sue. So you can follow uh, what Sue's up to uh, on Instagram. So she's at miss.sue.kim and on Twitter where she's at Miss Sue Kim. And just a, a quick reminder that her book, How to Live Korean, is now available from wherever you get your books. Uh, and Sue actually sent us a quick note just now to, to remind us that it's available in eight different languages. So it's available in English, Spanish, French, Russian, Dutch, Hungarian, Bulgarian and Slovak. So no excuses about, <laughs> unless you don't speak any of those languages. Um, so um, uh, And it's a fantastic read as well. Uh, so join us in our next episode where we'll be speaking to, um, to journalists Lucy Grace about her new home of Thailand but also um, about some of her flight free adventures over this summer so a bit of a hybrid episode it's going to be very interesting Mm, Um, so I'll see you then Lucy I'll see you then and we shall see you very soon Where to Go was produced by the team at DK Witness and the wonderful Julia Baker it was presented by James Atkinson and Lucy Richards and mastered by Johnny Coddington at Bottle Bucket Recording for more information about DK Eyewitness, follow us on social media at DK Eyewitness or visit dk.com forward slash eyewitness.
And don't forget to please like, rate, review and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. Your support means so much to us. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.